Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hello, I'm Michael Chakraverty. And I'm Mark Watson. And this is the Menkind Podcast. We're going to take a deep dive into masculinity, exploring what being a man actually means, along with a variety of brilliant guests. You know, men talking about men is a notoriously underrepresented area of podcasting. Not anymore. Well, welcome to another week. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Mark. It's nice to be asked how I am. Um, I'm especially well because we've had a lot of new Patreons have joined us on our Patreon site, which is very exciting. Yes, this time last week, we uh, historically launched our Patreon and a lot of people have got involved. Well, we're going to read their names out just like we promised to do. We are indeed. So first up, we have... Uh, it begins with Madeline. Then Helen. Samantha or Sam. Kat. Becky. Riley. Abigail. Chris. Holly. Fred. Ben. Jen. <laughs> None of the rest of them rhyme with the previous one, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't think so. Chelsea, Lauren, Daniel, Darianne, Ashlyn, Victoria, Michelle, Darren, John, Marcus, uh, Bojana, or it could be Bojana as well, not completely sure. Or Bohana, perhaps. Uh, or Bohana is actually maybe more likely, yes. Uh, Melissa. And then this final one, we're not sure of the pronunciation of. I'm going to go for Eotopina, but it could be, that could be a long way off. We are very, very grateful to all of you for, um, well, making a contribution to our being able to maintain the podcast basically yes indeed and if you would like to join our little community of patreons just pop over to patreon.com forward slash mankind podcast but enough about that this week we have the wonderful joe black it's actually interesting to bring that up because joe and i are going to be taking this forward from okay now fine well uh, thanks for having this me was thanks for the opportunity. Yeah. it yeah. was it was lovely to have you mark thank you for coming on my podcast yeah <laughs> Uh, no offence, but this is a really good episode. Yes, one of the funnier ones, I think, as well. A lot of laughs in this one. Lots of laughs, and we'll stop talking so you can listen to it now. Goodbye. Well, stay there, but goodbye from us for now. Enjoy it. This week, we have the lovely Joe Black with us. Mark is here as well, but you kind of assume that at this point. Hello, Joe. Hello. Who are you? How are you? I am merely a flash vessel <laughs> that is powered by steam and spite and revenge. Oh, who do you spite particularly today? Denise Van Outen. Oh. She doesn't know it, and I've never met her, but I've decided she's my nemesis. What's she done? Nothing. <laughs> no particular reason, I just... Just nice to have a nemesis, a high-profile one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I don't usually shop at Matterland, to be honest with you, but <laughs> I don't know, just, I, I needed to pick a nemesis, and I thought, you know what, she's pretty camp, I'll go with her. 
She doesn't know this. Are you ever going to let her know or, or will, will she remain just sort of unconscious? I mean, she might find out from this, I suppose. Maybe, yeah. I'm not personally going to tell her. Uh, I have no reason for her to be my nemesis. I just, I feel like I, I needed to select someone and she was the first one that came to mind. It's interesting that's the first person that came to your mind. Yeah. Maybe there are hundreds of people walking around with grudges against the <laughs> fanatic, which they can't really <laughs> explain or rationalise. Let's try it on you. Who's your nemesis today, Mark? Hmm. First person, go. This is interesting. I've not thought about just this. say a name, go. Well, <laughs> first go, name that came into my head was Alfred Hitchcock, but He's been dead a long time for a start. And again, he's not done anything to me, really. He's able to be an emissary if you want him to. You won. You came out on top. He's dead. I, I, I suppose, actually, if you pick a nemesis that's already out of the way, you are undefeatable. You are the victor. <laughs> but to, to actually answer your question, I am a cabaret performer that happens to be in drag who was recently on television for a show called Drag Race. <laughs> it's interesting though that you said that someone who does drag and we've spoken about this yeah, before this is interesting. you don't call yourself a drag queen could you talk about that a bit yeah I mean for me I think drag isn't gendered mm. you know going on drag race of course I was going to be called a drag queen but I know that that comes with the territory but for me I would say that I just do drag and it's something uh, elevated and ridiculous and just sort of larger than life you know visually and performatively and that's what drag is for me is, is heightened you know, pop stars are drag. I, I think, you know, things like Mae West, Marlene Dietrich, it was all drag. Those famous pop stars, both of those two. Yeah, I know, but you, you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, these pop stars and also them. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I completely agree. It's really fascinating because I think the concept and the notions of drag has changed, hasn't it? Mm -hmm. From where it came from to where it is now and what people perceive it to be because... I mean, Drag Race is a wonderful phenomenon, but it's not all that drag is. There's problematic areas of it, but it's also beginning to shift away from the gendered construct so much. When did you kind of first approach drag or when did drag first approach you, I suppose? So I was doing cabaret shows since 2007. I was still in primary school in 2007. Must you always <laughs> rub our noses in this, Michael? We've established that you're very young. I forget how young you are. You've got an old soul. He has, Joe. His soul is bloody ancient, if that's any consolation. <laughs> yeah. I forget too. And then something comes up. It's like he's never seen a jigsaw puzzle or something <laughs> bollocks like that. <laughs> now, you know I love a jigsaw. That's cruel. Yeah, that's not a fair example. I'm just trying to think what things we had in the 80s, which you wouldn't be familiar with. <laughs> what was I saying? Well, you were saying that you were doing it in 2007 yeah and there was always kind of like a makeup and kind of costume element to it and then i didn't kind of realize it could have been considered drag and then suddenly there maybe around 2013 i started realizing that i could kind of look like whatever i wanted and that gender was irrelevant to it i didn't need to be wearing a fancy suit and fancy brogues and makeup i could be wearing a fancy dress and heels and and, and the makeup but it didn't change the performance i think i could do things that enhanced it more i did more of a fantasy element to it because i think you know i love the kind of juxtaposition for me is that i'm more likely to be doing a tom Waits song than i am to be doing a katie perry song you know what i mean mm. so someone in a sequin fishtail gown doing you know tom Waits' cemetery polka that juxtaposition is nice for me it's like ursula from the little mermaid crossed with lemony snicket and a bit of British camp. Well, the thing with Poor Unfortunate Souls is Poor Unfortunate Souls is actually written to sound like Pirate Jenny from Kurt Vile and Bertolt Brecht's Three Penny Opera. She's written to be a Weimar cabaret thing. I mean, that goes into a whole field of kind of queerness and stuff with that one because that's a kind of inherently queer time, yeah. you know, using the, the kind of German musical theatre opera from the late 20s and early 30s as the musical influence for Ursula. And then Tom Waits is influenced by Kurt Weill and Bertolt Brecht. And somehow all of these things, though not initially you would go, oh, they're all related, they're somehow 
all related. It's kind of like a theatrical style, I suppose. And it sounds like what you're saying is that what you were doing, you didn't realise was termed as drag until mm-hmm. someone else kind of said that was what you were doing. Yeah. Because you were just kind of doing this kind of camp theatricality and cabaret vibe. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I would say so. Suddenly I just sort of, I was put on drag lineups. Yeah. I was like, oh, cool, this is nice. And then people started referring to me as doing drag. And I was like, oh, I guess I guess I kind of am. This is what we are now. <laughs> yeah, this is what I do. It is interesting that every time we speak to a drag artist, they see drag very differently from the last one that we spoke to in some way. And that kind of diversity of approach is something that I and a lot of people did not appreciate, I think. And even now perhaps don't appreciate because I feel as if drag race does only present a reasonably specific strand. Drag it as a phenomenon is enormous, obviously, much more than I ever imagined. Is it weird that people have a very specific idea of drag in their heads now? And what you're doing is pretty different from that. Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you... Like something like Drag Race, for example, the challenges are set out to be your typical kind of like nudge, 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 nudge kind of, mm. for want of a better word, like trashy challenges. You know what I mean? Yeah. The acting challenges and the scripting in it. No offence to the people writing it, but it's terrible. But it's not for the script, is it? It's sort of... Yeah, it's kind of a genre thing. Mm. By the way, I love no offence to people writing it, but it's terrible. Because I think potentially they might see some offence in that. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could say no offence and still deliver some offence in, in the same <laughs> sentence like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was put through the ringer with the whole thing. I think I've got some leverage to be like, do you know what? You absolutely have. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's kind of quite trashy. But you sign up to it and you know exactly what you're going to have to do. Yeah. You know, never in my life am I going to be going out and making like you know toilet humor jokes like that's not really my bag but i kind of knew that that was the case and that kind of i think for most of the perception is people think a lot of drag stuff has kind of maybe toilet humory mm. nudge nudge very basic Bordy. lowest common denominator stuff yeah yeah but i think it's up to people that are doing it to expand people's minds and i think even have it as a starting point of people thinking it's one thing is fine because then if they're interested in it from that point then they can discover other things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, It's like music, you know, you don't hear all genres of music in one go and you discover it as you go along. Mm. You know, I might be into, you know, one singer-songwriter and then, you know, Spotify or whatever throws up, you know, another recommended one. And Drag Race having the huge platform it is and showing people drag, even though it's one kind of thing, it can open that conversation. It still opens up the whole spectrum of it to people and people can do their own digging into the kaleidoscope of it, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. there's so many thoughts I have springing off that, but I'm going to make us ask the first question, which is unusual considering it's about 10 minutes into the podcast at this point but that's fine <laughs> we're just chatting yeah we're just easy OZ. we forgot we had a podcast for a bit <laughs> the first question we ask everybody takes you back to kind of your beginnings as a person and when you first remember being presented with an idea of what masculinity meant and what that idea was and how you related to it so my mum and dad split up before i was even old enough to kind of know yeah mm. so i was raised by my mum and my nan it was female figures in my life So for me, other than like seeing my dad like once a week or whatever it was, I didn't really have any kind of like male figures. Right. It's all aunties. And I found, this is going to be another one of those, no offence, but offence thing, you know, uncles when it's kind of got that laddie jokey thing and that never quite sat with me. No offence to your uncles, but their sense of humour was shit. (laughs) Yeah, no offence to the uncles, but couldn't stand them. (laughs) (laughs) I like this as your trademark thing. Yeah, no (laughs) offence, but I don't like you. I don't like your face and I wish you were dead. Do not take this badly. (laughs) (laughs) Do not take this badly, but I wish to smother you to death. (laughs) Denise. (laughs) Denise. (laughs) Damn. I'm your Denise Van Outen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the laddie jokey behavior. Did you attach that to masculinity? Yeah. You did. I think for me, it was the kind of like getting my guard up was always around male family members 
or male friends or family. Hmm. I was thinking about this this morning in terms of like, what did I see as masculine? But I was, again, being raised by all women. A very weird one that came to my mind that, because I, so I was really obsessed with Oliver. The musical? Yeah. I was traumatised by seeing Nancy die when I was younger. I couldn't stop thinking about it. Awful. Well, this is the thing, is that Bill Sykes is a really early memory of that kind of nasty masculinity. Yes, actually. I've never it's thought true. about that. Yeah. yeah, Bill Sykes would be called toxic these days, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, murdering people. That business, yeah. No offence, but really. No offence, but Bill Sykes has to have a look at himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so that was like an early example. And also things like, well, not even masculine, but male things in kind of films and comic booky kind of adaptations. And so the Joker was another one. Mm. You know, I remember as a kid reenacting from the late 80s Tim Burton Batman with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. I remember painting my face up like the Joker and jumping off my bed and pretending to reenact his death as a kid. I mean, which I think says quite a lot about me. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that a psychiatrist would ask about. Yeah. So all of the kind of like things I think about of perceptions of what men did were all ridiculous film and cartoon. Yeah. Because, you know, I saw my dad once a week and the occasional uncle. I felt very guarded around men. Yeah, you mentioned the word guarded, which I thought was interesting because that kind of implies that you were wanting to protect yourself from them. Do you think that was because of these... I mean, the, the people you mentioned, Bill Sykes and the Joker, wouldn't be necessarily considered as war. <laughs> no. Was there a sense of kind of trying to protect yourself because it was unfamiliar or somewhat dangerous? There was a lack of connection because, you know, at that age, you wouldn't realise maybe that you were a, a queer individual. You just know that mm. this sort of thing doesn't fit in with you. Mm -hmm masculinity was not something I kind of related to as a kid and I think it was I found it quite frightening and it's something that as I've gotten older more so in a kind of aesthetic fashion sense with men's stuff I love the idea of combining a kind of typically feminine fashion things with male ones mm. you know I wear a lot of kind of like baker boy caps and mm. so you sort of peaky blinders nonsense going on you know what I mean also healthy representations of masculinity there hiding blades and hats oh yeah of course <laughs> but that kind of you know dressing like a 20s rapscallion but you know with painted fingernails and some eyeliner on yeah I've embraced a more masculine thing aesthetically as I've gotten a bit older but still with that twinge of femininity whereas when I was younger I think I just wanted to purely be sort of like feminine approach to those sort of things. And it's interesting that you didn't have so many masculine figures, I suppose, growing up. But then when you went to school, you must have been surrounded by boys. And boys we're talking about specifically, or those who identified like that at the time. I'm assuming you kind of going into there, kind of not understanding how you might interact with masculinity and vice versa. So how was school? I think, again, like my friends were all women. Yeah. All female, again, and teachers as well. I always found that I had more connections with the female teachers and teaching assistants. Well, I started kind of getting male friends in school around secondary school, but that was through like a shared interest of like computer games. Right. Gaming comes up quite a lot. It's not the first time someone said that gaming provided them with a connection to other people outside of the norms of mm -hmm. boy friendship or male. Well, not necessarily outside the norms, but it was a different way of being a boy, basically. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we think of games now, I think of really laddie people playing like, you know, war and, you know, shit games and football games and all that kind of stuff. But at the time for me, it was all like fantasy games games and role-playing games, you know, Final Fantasy and yeah. kind of really escapist kind of stuff. And the people that I was hanging around with were also into that same kind of thing. It occurs to me, actually, that one of the first times I thought about the masculine and the feminine was exactly what you said. It was playing a role-play game as they used to be, an RPG, and playing as a female character, being about 11 or 12. 
And it was the first time the thought crossed my mind, imagine if you were a woman with any actual earnestness. It's an interesting thing about people demean gaming sometimes, but it encourages or it opens the door to you know, empathy. I tended to play a I dragon. Think. What does that mean about me? Lord knows, Michael. Well, I'm always some kind of dark wizard. If I can be evil and I can wreak destruction... Then you will. I will. <laughs> but the gaming in my head, I still think it's this really niche thing and it's not because i think i connected with this very small group of people that were you know ultimately considered very uncool over these things and that was kind of what we had in common and that was the first kind of male friends i remember having again even in primary school all my friends were female so it was strange that what brought male people together in school was just these very escapist things i think i'm similar i didn't have many male friends at school i mean i wasn't popular but i wasn't unpopular but all of my friends were girls and they all tended to be a bit older and i think it's a lot of queer people brought up as boys would say similar a lot of the experiences is that we were drawn to women and we felt that they were safer spaces and we felt like outsiders perhaps or we found ways of connecting to communities that weren't necessarily the kind of the ones in the playground as it were and it's really fascinating that that's such a common experience but none of us can quite work out why but something that popped into my head when you were talking was this is quite a big question strap in are you ready Mm -hmm. have you ever felt like a boy oh God, that's great, Michael, actually. Thank you for asking that. We should have asked that question of everybody. A bit late now. I don't think we can re-record all the 25 episodes. <laughs> that's brilliant. The question was worth the hype, actually. Thank it, you. It was worth the Thank big you. question. I'm really impressed. That's one of the best things I've ever been... I mean, oh, honestly. Just stop it. Now and again, I look across the table and think, fair play to Michael, he's not completely useless at all, <laughs> you know. He has real moments of podcasting class. So I identify as male. You know, I've not really questioned my gender seriously. Of course, there's, you know, it's going to pass your mind and go, am I? Mm. No, I don't think I am. But, you know, that was a fairly easy thing for me. Though I identify as male, I think I exist somewhere floating around. Mm. I wouldn't say I'm non-binary at all either. Like, I'm very much male, but I don't identify. But I think you can be on a... I mean, it comes... Sexuality isn't the same thing as gender, but if you use it as a metaphor, perhaps, people say there's gay on one end and then there's straight on the other end. And I don't think anyone is necessarily all of one thing. There is a spectrum, but the nearer you are to something else, you sort of round up. So I suppose if you round up to a boy, but the question also implies it's based on the understanding of what do you think a boy is and therefore do you relate to that? It's not just do you know what i mean it's a very hard question i'm not sure how i would answer to that question either but it's a very good question i think yeah we're still living in the aftermath of that question Michael. <laughs> yeah i think so <laughs> god i'm gonna keep saying these things that i go i don't mean to be offensive but oh, i can't I, wait I, think, I, I already think that's what the listeners want from the remainder of this yeah. podcast yeah it's a motif yeah when i think of just the word boy i think of the most plain Mm. uninteresting person okay yeah yeah it's just like you exist purely to do the things that boys do and you know anything else is ridiculous don't do it silly yeah that's what comes to me it's a box yeah and it doesn't allow for the sort of juxtapositions that you seem to be really drawn to yeah but i also i think everyone should have a lot of uh contrasting interests in their life yeah personalities are meant to be messy aren't they yeah and i think when i see the word boy i see a kind of cut out you know, it's like uh, like you use games as an example. Before you customize your character, you know, pick a body, male, you know, boy, girl, whatever. You start your game and then the story kind of develops from there and the personality goes from there. I find with masculinity, I kind of feel like people are told not to enjoy themselves. Yeah. But they can enjoy themselves for very specific things. Yeah. And only those ones. I mean, the idea of playing games and stuff when I was a teenager, 
That was a geeky jokey thing, you know. Oh, that, oh, that's silly. Ha, 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 ha. But you bonded with those other people that enjoyed it. And it's not something I remember speaking about, which is why it now takes me off guard when I realise how popular it is now that we have things like Twitter. Yeah. I mean, I gamed a lot when I was younger, but I fell out of it. You got me back into it during lockdown. And it was a lovely kind of reconnection to that time when I was younger of playing these games again. And yeah, it was gorgeous. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's quite a revealing observation. I think it is true that a lot of the time, as a man or boy or whatever it is true that even the things you're meant to enjoy you have to enjoy them either with some irony or distance mm -hmm. or enjoy them in quite aggressive ways like as we know i'm a big sports fan and i genuinely love watching sport and being at it but i'm still conscious that there are people around me who can only manifest that enjoyment by yelling at other people or by there's anger commingled like a with primal it. instinct yeah but do you think that's because it wouldn't be considered okay to just enjoy it because you love it well this is kind of what i'm trying to get to the bottom of because of what you've said i think maybe i am leaning towards thinking that in the same way that you know there are certain types of music again where even the people who love it love it in quite a kind of proud angry way like you're not allowed to share it with me or mm -hmm. the more i think about it there is something women seem to find it easier to express a kind of unreserved appreciation or love of something i think it's because they're given permission to because they're allowed to yeah yeah again i was quite lucky because i was brought up by women that it was okay to be passionate about stuff yeah even now my mum is you know she'll sit there and listen to me ramble on about something she has zero interest in because she just appreciates that there's a passion to it yeah you've reminded me that at university somebody once said to me i think it was after we'd been to a football match or something but someone said to me i'll tell you what i've had a lovely day i mean not to be gay or anything and it didn't even mean as yeah, in, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it wasn't. He didn't even mean. Yeah. I don't fancy you. He literally meant. I feel in some way unmanned by having said I've had a lovely. Day. And I was twenty one. Yeah. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> That's not a gay thing. But yeah, I was just thinking that. Like, I was going to say, how many times have you done to a sporting event and someone is sincerely gone? Do you know what? I really love this sport. Like, just like that. In my case, quite a lot. But I can see other people fighting that compulsion or, or burying it under all manner of other stuff. Yeah. But is there an apology when they, like you said that, you know, not to be gay, but I've had a really lovely day. Have the, the kind of sincerity of those moments always come with a disclaimer? Yeah. I think in my case... This is one of those interesting moments where the podcast has become the podcast. I'm having a lovely time. <laughs> I'm just sat here with a smoothie. It's I great. like it. I like being questioned. But it's a really interesting point because the not to be gay but is a disclaimer. It well, is. Yeah, I think my equivalent of it is because I'm a comedian and because I've always had a sort of, even before being an actual comedian, I've always had a sort of instinctively undermining way of talking about things, like using understatement for comic effect, all that sort of stuff. Honestly, Basically, Joe, if you want to see him squirm, just tell him he looks nice. Honestly, self-deprecation runs in every single bone of your body i mean i think that yeah. runs in every comedian's body yeah that's the thing <laughs> that's true. all of us are so desperate for attention and love that we constantly deprive ourselves of it so that other people can fill the gap i suppose you might say but yeah i think for me i'm able to say very positive things or talk about what i love and things like that with a degree of irony or humor basically being a joker either by trade or by disposition allows you to cloud or couch your opinions with irony with you know so yeah so you don't need to put the disclaimer on no but you could argue that a version of the disclaimer is people know that i will like massively exaggerate things or make stupid statements or there's also a conclusion to it yeah. as well like if you're telling a story people are waiting for that at the end yeah the single clap that mark often gets just the one well done very good <laughs> there's normally a bit more than that thank you michael <laughs> i think and we've talked about it before but not just comedy any sort of performance does allow you an awful lot of leeway in terms of not saying what you think ironically it's a really interesting point to brought up joe and i really like the thought about it it's sort of like putting the casual homophobia of not to be gay but mm. aside i think it's it's like a tentative expression of is it okay for me to say this yeah if you know what i mean it's kind of it sounds silly but it's sort of a little bit of a bravery to kind of go 
oh, I'm just going to put out how I feel at the moment and just see how that sits. It's a step forward, then a kind of, oh God, what, what if I've stepped out mm. of line? And it's men who perpetuate that line. Mm-hmm. So it's fascinating because it's a group of people who sort of are, are, are desperate to express themselves, but in the same way are policing themselves. It's self-fulfilling. I think everyone would have a much nicer time if everyone was open and honest about the things that make them passionate. Yeah, as long as they preface it by saying no No offence, <laughs> but... Yeah. <laughs> no offence, but this pizza's fucking lovely <laughs> and you're not having any of it. It's like, you know, if you have an issue with someone having a quiet conversation about how you feel, it kind of yeah. works it out. And if you're passionate about something, that's, you know, speak about it. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So at school, you were feeling you didn't really connect with any of the men, really. You uh, you kind of you got into the gaming world. When did you get drawn into cabaret or kind of theatricality? Where did that come from? When did that start? That's quite a confident thing to do. So I was into like really heavy metal type stuff as a, as a teenager. But I also really like musical theatre. Again, the juxtaposition, <laughs> the nuance. Yeah. And I think very traditional, you know, talking like late 20s, early 30s, you know, Kurt Weilberter, Brecht type stuff. Degenerates. It's yeah. filthy and it's funny and sometimes twisted and it's send-ups of things and I think it has that kind of punky the kind of rebel thing that I think alternative music that I enjoyed had because it was something other yeah it's a resistance isn't it and it combines that theatricality of like musical theatre and somehow in the middle you get something that's both camp and We've spoken yeah. before with Andrew O'Neill, who was, was about talking this. about um... about being a huge metal fan, and how if you go to metal gigs, you'll always hear people quoting Monty Python and singing. Not what you'd expect, but it it's, again sort of makes sense. They're like a metalhead, and there's a liberation in the expression of primal want and desire and a freedom yeah. from restriction, I suppose. And also, it's true, of course, what Joe says. It's easy to think that musical theatre is, you know squeaky clean in some way or you know quite sanitized and glossy or it's easy to forget the kind of the murky cabaret roots of it and in the same way it's easy to forget that metal and stuff has a huge kind of camp element to it that all genres of music have a kind of Mm -hmm. 
theatrical playfulness to basically there's less difference between the thing you like and the thing you think you hate yeah. than you imagine there is. Yeah. And as kids, we are forced to think in a quite binary way, I suppose. And then you start to realise everything's connected as you get older. I th- you know, it, being in that sort of gaming crowd in school, no one else wanted to listen to silly you know, tango music on piano. You know what I mean? It, it, they, you know, they were all yeah. into screaming stuff. But, you you know, you're told, you you know, oh, you like this, you like this thing, so you can't like the other thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yeah. then as you, you know, you get older and you discover other interests. And again, it, it, like we were saying, the, there's a reason why you like it. You just don't know why. There's yeah. kind of mutual elements between them. I like, I like what Andrew said about the Monty Python thing, I think's really, really interesting. Because I think that's, is that like an absurdist thing? You know, because metal is, when you think about it, it's like, oh, it's it's really primal, but it is also very absurd, especially with like kind of death metal or black metal bands, you know, with the big costume and, and makeup. Yeah, that's yeah. what they were talking about. That's exactly it. It's the absurd, the enjoyment of the liberation and the freedom to just be like, this is silly, but it's still great. And like, this is metal, but it's still camp. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh-huh. like you're saying, people set these things up in a binary system, which doesn't need to be there because they can exist together. And like you kind of yeah. you mentioned earlier when we were talking about you started off kind of in theatrical, what would necessarily be described as masculine clothes, like kind of suits and robes, and but with a bit of eyeliner and that moved into wearing gowns and dresses or but still with a masculine element. So you kind of moved to kind of a fusion. How did you start, though? You mean, like, the early days? Yeah, like, thinking back to when you started in those smoke-soaked rooms. For me, it was like, cool, I'm male, so I'd wear a suit and the makeup. It's that kind of MC in, you know, Kandra and Ebb's cabaret. Very cabaret, yeah. Mm. The white face and the the blush and the slicked hair. An element of clownery still, then. Yeah, total element of clownery. But I was also really into, uh, you know, like I said, like Tom Waits, really into Nick Cave. You know, these singer-songwriters and performers that are just in a nice suit. And it was, I guess... Oh, Nick Cave looks great in a suit. He really does. Oh, he does. He lives in Brighton and I've seen him a few times and it scares the absolute life out of me every time. Uh, it would make me jump if he walked down the street, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't expect to see him and he's really tall. But these performers are like that wall suit, so it was like wearing the gowns and stuff. I find that when I'm like all ready and all done, I feel like, oh, I'm ready. Like I've got my armour on. Yeah. And I think obviously having interest in kind of singer-songwriters and stuff, it was just matter of fact. That's why I use my own name. I was going to ask about this. I'm interested in this. Uh, it's because it, you're just you doing the thing. If you have a made-up name, particularly within like drag or cabarets, a lot of the names are really silly. All their pun names. Yeah. You've got quite a strong name as well, though. Joe Black is a good <laughs> name. I assumed it was a made-up name, in fact, when I first heard it. No, yeah. it's just my name, which is, you know, obviously going to be a fucking nightmare. At some... Sorry, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, we yeah, do quite late, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, which would be a fucking nightmare at some point, I'm sure. <laughs> no offence, but it would be a fucking, fucking nightmare. nightmare. <laughs> but so, uh, Mark and I were talking about your pronouns before you came on, because we always try to make sure we're using the right ones, and you use he, him in drag mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Is that related to you using your name as a version of yourself? Yeah, I, I think, yeah, because it's a version of... Uh, of myself i don't you know no matter what i'm wearing i'm not trying to create a, a typically female illusion mm-hmm. that's why i've never really worn breasts when i get stuff made they're all flat chested because in, in my head i am a male person that is dressing up in these clothes because i think i look great and i really like it and this is the performance style I mean, there's an element of subversion about it as well, of course. Yeah. It's that kind of, you know, dirty Berlin cabaret thing. You know, all the man is in a dress. They've got a very clown face, very cartoonish. 
But the joke isn't that I'm wearing a dress. It's just a matter of fact. Yeah. We often ask a question about role models, but I think actually in this instance, it could be more interesting in terms of your inspirations. When you look at how you're going to present, what you're going to look like, what the performance is going to be, where do you draw that inspiration from? Who are the people that you kind of look at and go, oh, I'd love to take an element of this into how I present? Again, I think games played more of a role than I would give it credit for. I think right. I don't realise it, but that for sure, you know, witches and, and, and things like that in, in computer games. But I like a lot of old movie stars and I like a lot of cartoons. So, you know, something like, you know, the Ursulas and Cruella de Vils, it's those really exaggerated, classic glamour things, but to the point of grotesque. Yeah. You know, mm. my eyebrows end up like really ridiculously high because it's just that really... You know, you think of like a thin eyebrow and you think of, oh, you know, cabaret, smoking, Marlena Diedrich, that kind of thing. But if you just take it a little bit too far, it's still got that element of what is traditionally glamorous or, you know, screen sirens of the time. But it's just a little bit too much. Yes. Yeah. I think grotesque glamour is a really good way of describing it. Yeah. It would be a good title for the episode, in fact. I think No Offence is a better one. Uh, it's probably going to be called No Offence But, to be honest. <laughs> but we'll have a reserve. I'm writing it down. <laughs> but like grotesque glamour, but grotesque is often seen as a negative. But actually, it's kind of that extension one step too far, isn't it, really? Grotesque is one of my very favourite words. I love it. The meaning of it is when, again, exaggeration. It's particularly like the paintings of Otto Dix. Just the most disgusting looking people. No offence. No offense. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's these German painters, particularly if they draw like larger men. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know the style that you mean. There's a kind of glorying in the disgust. Yeah, it's grotesque, it is disgusting, but it's decadent. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you get these really large men with monocles and top hats and it's yeah. so garish. It's so uh, it's ridiculous. I love that. How do you find that men, but I'm thinking it's particularly cisgendered straight men, how do they react to you when you are, I was about to say in drag, but I suppose like even when you're out of drag, you still have that point of view, that kind of camp glamour. I mean, you're wearing a pinstriped suit and you look fab at the moment. Like you look a bit different to people you see walking down the street, which I think is fair to say, no offence. <laughs> how do you find straight cisgendered men interact with you when you present in such a different way, I suppose, to them? I mean, in, in, in kind of day-to-day -day life, it varies wildly <laughs> yeah. from, you know, person to person. I mean, I live in Brighton. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to yeah, present you, how you do Brighton... You're hiding in plain sight to some extent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brighton, I always use the example as when I first moved here, I saw a man having a quiet pint dressed as a lobster on his own <laughs> outside a pub. No one blinked. You thought, I like it here. Yeah. No, it's one of those things where I was like, cool. So everyone can yeah. just kind of get on with it and that's all right. Finally, I can get my lobster costume yeah, out. Not yeah. as a queer person, I'd be delighted if I saw that on my first day in a new place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because it gives you license to just have a nice time. Yeah, exactly. Mm. And that's what I like about Brighton is I don't feel oppressed of course, you're going to get your occasional dickhead or whatever, yeah. but it's quite a free place. And the daytime, obviously, will vary wildly depending on where you are and who's around. But in, in performatively, I find maybe it's because I'm not telling anyone, oh, look, I'm a woman now in a costume is that very kind of heter I'm say heteronormative people seem to be quite fond of me. Yeah. Sort of middle-aged, rough men that are basically my dad tend to, you know, they are a decent portion of shows because I think it's a way for them to enjoy something like a bit different. You can perhaps transcend a barrier that they perhaps can't. Yeah, like I get the, I mean, I've <laughs> triggered Drag Race, but the David Bowie thing is, is I think, yes. and that's why I did David Bowie for the uh, Drag Race runway was because David Bowie as a gay icon, uh, despite not being gay, he was bisexual, his persona and vibe gave heteronormative people a kind of 
open their minds yeah. to something a bit different. Him and Boy George are the two that people say to me quite a lot. It's people that you wouldn't expect to kind of, you look at them and you go, well, you wouldn't be okay with any of this. But mm-hmm. they'll always go, oh, as a teenager, like I really got into David Bowie and I just, I loved it. Again, it's this thing of giving people permission to enjoy yeah. something which they know deep down they want, but it has to be packaged in a way that, you know, mm-hmm. David Bowie did that for so many. And even, I guess, Elton John and, you know, pop mm-hmm. stars who were not even out at the time. There's, there's a whole tradition of, you know, the queerness of pop and rock. But again, it, we only have to have that tradition, as you say, because when you think about it, a lot of more heteronormative people again just aren't comfortable enjoying stuff without those sneaky ways in yeah you know people like bowie will give those permission to enjoy it and then they'll apply that to their next thing they'll take you somewhere completely different once once you're in yeah and like we've talked about drag race for all its flaws it does package queer stories for mainstream, yeah. which wouldn't necessarily always have got out there. If you look at Drag Race UK, it's just gone with non-binary awareness with Ginny and obviously Bimini. I mean, there's been some incredible conversations that have been packaged in what can be quite a problematic whitewashed show. It's given people access to those stories and those narratives that they may not necessarily always have. Yeah, it's, it's what you were saying, isn't it? It's Drag Race is not, this is drag, but it just gives enough of a way in to, to snare many people that can make their own discoveries. Yeah. Your comment then... Michael, about the kind of neatly packaged queer stories. Mm. I mean, that's not always a good thing because it can oversimplify something. True, absolutely. But I think, again, like as, as we were saying, about as, as a kind of starting point, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, there has yeah. to be a starting point and yeah. that is something. It is, it's a starting point. I'm, I'm trying to think of like the first time you put on a dress. What did that feel like? Do you know, I used to... I feel like I'm having a therapy session. It's great. I mean, you can sit back and close your eyes if you like. It's what we like it to feel like, sometimes for us as well, to be honest. (laughs) Well, I remember in the kind of dressing up box in primary school, I would always dress as a witch. Of course. I would expect nothing less of you. And I put on a dress and the pointy hat. And to the point that they were like, you've got to stop dressing as a witch. (laughs) I did it so much that they were like, you can't do this anymore. You and your villainy again. (laughs) I know, it's like villains are recurring. Clearly, yeah. And I remember pretending I was being Rita Repulsa from the Power Rangers. Right. Quite a niche reference, yeah, but it's a good one. Lesser known villain as they go. Yeah, it's just lots of screaming, you know, with a staff, that kind of thing. Horned headdress. But yeah, I remember dressing as a witch. So, I mean, I don't think I even recognised that as putting on a dress. I think I was just being a witch. And that was what I like, because I liked witches. So I'll put on this dress and now I'm a witch. The reason I asked is because a lot of people see drag as female impersonation and therefore putting on the dress is therefore impersonating a female. Whereas for you, clothing is also an extension of the persona. And obviously clothing inherently has no gender, but we have given it gender. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's interesting, therefore, that when you were dressing up, you're just like, I'm just being me. Mm -hmm. I'm a witch. I'm not a woman. I'm a witch. Well, you are a witch. You've always been a witch. Yeah. (laughs) As a person. (laughs) What the fuck did you just call me? (laughs) It's a really nice idea, I think, of being able to just dress how you want and present how you want and that to be authentically you. And it's a nice liberating. Yeah, I have found it all really interesting because, again, this is a lazy supposition to make, but it can feel as if drag is about not exactly escaping but exploring something very very different from that and it feels with joe that it's more like well yeah just transferring who you are onto a stage which is a different thing it's not how people often picture drag i don't think not people like me anyway yeah it's a way for me to kind of live out what i'm passionate about yeah yeah which is great which is villainy <laughs> which is yeah. killing well, no, yeah. which is yeah <laughs> villainy it's looking like the things i'm interested in in that mm that excite me and I'm passionate about and makes me happy. You know, if I had to give up performing or look, I would give up the look because I still want to do the performing, but it wouldn't 
feel the same, mm-hmm. it all helps the next thing, you know. It's yeah. for the audience as, as well as you, is that visually you want to transport people away as well, you know, and that's that's the purpose of cabaret. It was affordable entertainment for people to escape, you know, um, the horrors of reality. And that's why variety shows, you know, had a big boom with the recession and stuff, is that it was that escape because then people could see six acts for what they pay to see one. Yeah, it makes sense. More different escapes from the horrors of reality yeah. in one night, basically. <laughs> don't we need it. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. We <laughs> well, yes, it's a shame when we have to use phrases like the horrors of reality, but being alive is very complicated, isn't it? Oh, Klaus has uh, awakened. Oh, Klaus, Klaus has... cat. Oh, there we go. We just got a flash of his bum. Talking the horrors of reality there he is the little hairless thing (laughs) for those who can't see klaus is a mink sphinx cat so he's gray with a dark little face and he uh is just behind the chair does klaus take his name from the lemony snicket books (gasps) you are the first person to actually say that so everyone assumes klaus kensky who did nosferatu in the 70s or they assume klaus from the umbrella academy whereas it happens that i am currently reading the snickets to my son so my head is very much in the world of those children joe does remind me of because the books are all about this sort of the glory of villainy. Oh, I love them. Magnificent view for us of Klaus now, who is yeah. clambering, I think the word is. Sitting on, almost on Joe's shoulder, like a villain. No, exactly. He likes to sit there and he goes, do, 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 at the window. And I say, have you seen a fat pigeon? And he goes, In regards to things that are related, I loved those books as a kid. And then you, you say that kind of villainy going through it and there's a sort of a campness, but it's also very 1920s. So it's quite an anachronistic thing. So particularly in the TV series, you'll notice it more, but there's things of certain time periods that shouldn't be together. So you're yeah. kind of led to believe that it's kind of set in the 20s or 30s, but then someone will have a 60s phone. Yeah, there's lots of stuff like that. It wants more, the fun of juxtaposition. Yeah, but it's got that kind of funny, absurdist, but gothic thing so it's fun but it's dark but it's very funny (laughs) i'm afraid joe i'm gonna have to interrupt we've literally come to the end (gasps) we've reached the end of the podcast can you believe time wise even though there would have been quite a lot more yeah so we haven't haven't reached the end (laughs) of our patience of our our lives or our (laughs) patience (laughs) life will continue following this end but we do always ask one final question which you can take however you wish if you were to embed three qualities within a man for them to best be equipped to live in this world that we live in what would you give them? I think, uh, to go to our previous conversations, I think passion. Mm, yeah. To be passionate about things, to be emotional, both for the good and the bad, as much as you can get emotional for the wrong reasons, you can get very emotional for the right reasons, and that goes in with the passion. And the ability to not give a fuck as well. That's uh, the, the other one, but in like a good way, not in a, I'm going to kill people because I don't care. Yeah, we've touched on how that's bad. <laughs> We, you know, we spoke about the Joker earlier, uh, but that kind of a sense of freedom. Just ability to be who you properly, truly want yeah. to be. Not worry about causing every... offence. Yeah, don't worry about <laughs> causing offence. To live your life in a no offence but dot 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 type yeah. of way, basically. <laughs> that's something that, again, Michael and I would both like to be a bit more like. I like about. the idea of passion as well, as having something you care about and, being, and the emotional side being able to express that, I think is really Yeah, it's been a important. theme that passion is, should not be something that you require permission yeah. to feel. Feelings are your feelings, after all. And what are we alive for if not to have passions and interests? That is a closing sentence. Thank you, Mark, for that one. That was gorgeous. Well, it's, what, it's what Joe has made me think about. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Where can people find you? What would you like to plug? Where should they go? Oh, come to Instagram. 
Instagram. I like that one. Uh, Mr. Joe Black, M-I-S-T-E-R. Uh, we didn't get on that, did we? That like, I, I used Mr. in all my, my things. Yes, that's true. Yeah, Mr. Joe Black on Instagram or mrjoblack.com for my website. I'm touring in September mm. around the UK and doing Ireland in December. Yeah. So, uh, you know, find me on the socials. Do the thing. I've got a Patreon. You're funny on there. You're being silly. You're on Cameo as well. Oh, I've got that disabled at the moment because I'm working on an album. Oh. So I needed to to step back a little bit from some stuff. Is that an exclusive? That's exciting. That's an exclusive. Look at that. They have to get to the very end, though, to get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lot of preamble to that announcement. Yeah, but even so, we like it. It all goes down as exclusive content. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Joe. And have a lovely afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much for having me. I'll see you soon, darling. Bye. 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 And no offence, but that was Joe Black. What a fun one uh, that was. And I know you couldn't see him, but he looked fabulous. And I think we've got a picture, actually, which we'll put on our social medias if you want to have a look at Menkind Podcast on all platforms. Tell you what else is good for looking at stuff. Patreon. (laughs) Yes, indeed. And we've just uploaded some extra clips from Sophie last week. So do pop over there. And if you'd like to give us some money, that would be great. That would be lovely. And also like and subscribe. And please just love us in general. Gosh, there's a lot of things to say, isn't there? Do we get to say new stuff just dropped on our Patreon? Or is that that's of your territory? that I don't think I've ever dropped something on purpose. I don't think I have either. No, I drop enough stuff without it being on purpose. <laughs> I think Beyonce did a drop a while ago, didn't she? That lemonade that was the biggest drop of all time. And I think any drops yeah. past that point have been kind of substandard, I suppose. And um, no offense, but we're not Beyonce, are we? <laughs> no offense, but we're not. <laughs> Next week, though, we have my friend and mainly mine, but also Mark's little bit, uh, David Atherton. How did you learn to love yourself? I suppose is the question. Yeah, I think that it was through the wonderful therapy of Brené Brown, who I don't know if you know about Brené Brown, but she is this huge, I mean, I think her TED Talk is still the second most watched ever. She's in the US and she is a specialist in shame and vulnerability. Brilliant, yeah. And she's brilliant because she's not one of these self-help Americans who says, be like me, do all these wonderful things. She's like, she struggles so much with it herself. I mean, it's transformative, um, her books on shame and vulnerability. And I just realized that I hated being vulnerable. Like this is one of the reasons I applied for Bake Off was I was too used to doing the things that I was good at mm. and too used to doing things, oh, I'm good at this and- Oh, so you're just looking you were bad at, but still one at it. Thanks, yeah, thanks that, David. That plan really backfired, <laughs> David. <laughs> this is true, I didn't think of this. I'm not very good at reflecting. <laughs> Famously robbed me on Bake Off in 2019, but he is a lovely ja- lovely chap, I nearly said then. Gosh, that's not like 1940s there. A lovely chap, David is. Uh, yeah, the Beyonce of the Bake Off, in a way. <laughs> so it's a pretty baking-heavy episode. Well, actually, it's not. We didn't talk about that stuff at all. We talked about, uh, we went for masculinity as a topic in the end. Do you know what? It was actually really refreshing to talk to David about something publicly that didn't involve flour and eggs. It was really refreshing <laughs> for me. Yeah, so if you hate eggs, tune in next week. <laughs> Um, do we have anything else to say, Mark, or is that us done? Well, we've had some nice tweets, haven't we? And sometimes we neglect oh, the, uh, yes. the duty of reading those out, but you've got one, I think. Yes, we do have a long list, and we're so sorry, but we just keep talking and uh, we forget. But we had a lovely message from Madeline, who I believe is one of our Patreons, which is very exciting. Uh, and Madeline says, This podcast always feels like a great big hug. This week, she's referring to the Sophie Hagen episode, it's a great big hug that reminds us not to be complacent about the so-called gender norms all around us. The best kind of great big hug when you think about it. Yeah, quite a complicated type of hug, but there you go. Hugs are allowed in Britain from today, which is very exciting. That was re- lovely link, Michael. One of your best. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm, I know my political commentary, generally. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Listen to the podcast. Go out there and hug someone in real life because you can now. But I think there are guidelines now. I think you're meant to hug not looking at somebody and like maybe with your back turned to them. I'm not sure. 
<laughs> oh, a long pause there, Mark. Did you expect me to keep talking? So I, I, I thought you were telling me to shut up. <laughs> I'm wearing a mask. Patreon content there from our producer who mimed covering her mouth and immediately, Mark, <laughs> obediently stops talking. Yeah, that's how we do it in this house. Am I allowed to say, see you next week, everyone? I'm going to. See you next week, everyone. Bye. Uh, he, loves, he loves doing the podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.